little loud. I'm going to let the kids go for Children's Church. So good. And we are in this season of Advent, and uh, we are having a great time. Thanks so much to everybody who came last Sunday night, it was, for the hanging of the greens. And those greens got hung, and uh, you know, it, it happens. And it, it happened again, and we're excited. Even that wreath that no one really gets to see but me. That's like my personal wreath back there on the high wall. Who climbed up there this year and did that? That was Sean. Thank you. Personal, thank you. Thanksgiving to you for your efforts. And uh, it always makes me a little nervous, but I'm glad you did it. Um, so great stuff. We're in this season, and it is it is. Just a joyous time. I, I'm all about slowing down, but I'm not about, again, by any means, making this season boring. It is not boring. When we talk about God coming to the world, it, that, that's about as exciting as it gets. And my heart is open, and I trust yours is too during this season, to just receive from God in fresh and abundant and beautiful ways. It's one of the statements that many of us perhaps made a thousand times when we were growing up. I said this statement or this phrase so many times that it wasn't until I became an adult that I thought back as to what I was saying or heard my kids saying the same saying that I really even thought about what it was that, that they were saying, what they were saying. It's the unifying factor in every hide-and-seek game ever played, ever known to, to mankind. It's the phrase that sets the hunter loose to find the hiding, and it's the phrase that sets the hiding into a panic if they haven't yet found the, the premier hiding place, or it's the phrase that you know, encourages them to scrunch down just a little bit more uh, out of, out of v- viewing uh, sight lines so that they won't be seen. I hope that you know what I'm talking about. If you're, if you're familiar with this phrase, just say it with me, ready or not, here I come. And I mean, it just, it was so rote, right, as a kid, ready or not, here I come. Now I think back, ready or not, here I come. And we're in Advent, and the, again, the greens have been hung, and uh, oh, oh, uh, come thou long, expect that Jesus has been sung. Next week it'll be, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. The first candle has been lit. We are off and waiting. We are off and waiting. We're not running in Advent. But we're off and waiting in Advent. We're waiting for the coming of the Lord. And uh, we, we wait, we anticipate His coming that we'll celebrate, His first coming that we'll celebrate at Christmas And we're waiting, in a sense, as we'll talk, really focus on today, we're waiting for the the second coming of the Lord, and we're waiting for the ways in which God will come to us afresh in our lives, even today. We celebrate during Advent the God who looked down on a creation hidden by the darkness of sin and came as a baby in a manger into that creation to seek and to save that which was lost. We celebrate the God who one day will again come in power to judge the world of sin and evil, setting all things right 
Amen? And gathering his people to himself for all of eternity. We celebrate the God who even now comes through the presence of his Holy Spirit who's here in this place with us today and who comes to the world through, believe it or not, his people, the church, you and me, touching that world with grace and with mercy, with compassion and with healing. So the saying holds true in Advent, ready or not, here he comes. This is what we celebrate. Our theme this year is celebrate. But uh, we're not just talking about celebrating Advent. There, there it is right there. We're not just talking about celebrating Advent as in throwing a big party and getting together and having a bunch of festivities and, and uh, just kind of enjoying all of the holiday things together. To celebrate can mean not only to party, but it can mean to perform or to participate, especially in a religious ceremony or sacrament. We talk of celebrating communion, right? You've heard that phrase. In fact, in some traditions, the the one who serves the communion is the, some of you know this, the celebrant. It's the one who celebrates the, the, the Lord's Supper. And we talk about this, and today we'll, we'll, uh, we'll participate in that. Or at baptism, uh, we, we talk about this as well. Um, what, when we do this, when we do these things, we, we're, we're talking about how we participate in a physical activity, communion or baptism, that points to a deeper kind of spiritual reality in Communion, as we eat the bread and drink the juice, it points to the fact that Jesus gave his life as a sacrifice for our salvation, right? And when we, when we enter into the waters of baptism, we point to the fact that we are dying to our sin and we are being raised to a new life. Well, in the same way... Um, When we celebrate Advent, what we're doing is we're looking for ways, specific, physical ways. We're looking for ways, and we're actually living certain ways in which we can uh, proclaim and participate in the reality that God has come, that God is coming, and that God will come again. What are the Things that we can do, the, if we're to really celebrate Advent, what are the, what are the ways that we can live that will, that will point to the reality that God comes, that he's coming to the world, that he's coming, and that he will come again. And so back to the hide-and-seek saying, if we really want to proclaim the reality that our God is a God who comes, then the first thing we will do, and the first thing, hear this, that Christians have done for centuries in Advent, will be to get ready. Just as we've prepared this worship space with greenery and with lights for this season that has again come to us, we are to prepare our hearts and prepare our lives for the God who comes as well. See, the kids who really believe that the one who is it is coming to find them, they do something about it, right? They hide. They don't just stand there. They 
They get ready for his coming because they believe that what he said he will actually do. And in, again, in the same way, perhaps the greatest way that we can participate in and proclaim our belief that our God is a God who comes. Perhaps the most significant way we can celebrate Advent is to do something, is to get ready, is to move, because we know he's coming. Well, Jesus spoke of the urgency of our readiness in the Gospel of Matthew. I invite you to turn there if you have a Bible. Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 to 44. And I would love to have you stand with me as I read this. Jesus is not messing around in this passage, as you will soon find. And at the end of the passage, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, for indeed it is. And you can say, thanks be to God. Again, Matthew 24, verses 36 down to verse 44. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Well, the obvious focus of these words is on being ready for Jesus' second coming. It's not a theme you hear preached on very often anymore. And uh, I even thought as we approached Advent, and especially this first Sunday of Advent, where it's a prominent theme in, in Christian liturgy and history, I thought, wow, really? We're going to preach on the second coming of Jesus, huh? What a kind of an outdated or outmoded doctrine. And I grabbed myself very quickly, or the Holy Spirit gripped me very quickly and said how important, how critical it is that we speak of this doctrine, especially in the day and age in which we live. The context of this portion of Scripture is Jesus' sermon in this entire chapter. And one commentator has just called this sermon, Jesus' sermon on uh, the end of the world as we know it. Isn't that encouraging? Praise, praise God for that. But that's basically what this sermon is. He's already spoken of the signs that will come in advance of his final coming. This is Jesus preaching to his disciples, and he's already described what that coming will look like on the clouds of the sky with power and with great glory. And now he's telling his audience, both then and to us today, that while no one knows the day nor 
the hour of his coming. Everyone is called to be ready for it. No one knows the day nor the hour. No one knows the day nor the hour. But we are all called to be ready for it. To say that uh, bumper sticker theologians have been uh, helpful uh, in giving people a solid biblical understanding of the last days simply would not be true. They have not been helpful, but they have given us a pretty good chuckle over the years. If you paid attention to any of these, I, I have a few that uh, I thought I'd, I'd show you. Um, we, uh, we, we have some of these. Let's see if we can put them up here. I'm not sure you'll be able to read them. I, I like this one that I found. Armageddon out of here. Is that just, I mean, who thought of that? Who's sitting around someday thinking, I know, we'll put some end times theology on bumper stickers. Wait a second. Armageddon out of here. That'll sell. $3.95 a pop. We're rich. Okay. No, get that one out of here. You, many of you have seen this one. In case of rapture, this car will be unmanned. I actually saw a review of this bumper sticker on Amazon, and the person was like, I couldn't quite tell if it was serious or tongue-in-cheek, but they were complaining about people believing this and the effect that would have on traffic <laughs> and how irresponsible it was that if you actually believed in the rapture to drive a car at all. I mean, I don't think that's the Advent celebration that we're talking about. All of you need to turn in your licenses. Uh, but, but I thought that was... Um, I, I saw another one that's kind of take out on this. Wait, go back to that for a second. It says, uh, in case of rapture, can I have your car? That was for the people who don't believe. Okay, the next one, uh, kind of like this. You want global warming, wait till Jesus comes back. I mean, really? <laughs> that one just... I don't know. I don't, that's a bit of a, bit of a stretch. Uh, but then this last one is kind of what got me going on this uh, to begin with and then forced me to run into all those other ones. This is the one I was really looking for. Jesus is coming. Look busy. Quick. Quick, do something. And, and when I thought about this sticker, I, I really thought, man, it, it's close. It's really close. If we could just change the look busy to get busy. You know, don't just, don't just give off the appearance of being busy. It, I think Jesus probably knows the difference. But get busy. This isn't a time, we, we don't know the day or the hour, but we know the fact of it. And so the, the biblical mandate, the biblical call is to get busy while we wait. It is not a passive waiting. It is an active waiting for sure. Without a doubt, one of the most significant ways that we can celebrate Advent, you can take that down, and participate in its spiritual reality is to get busy, to ready ourselves for the second coming. Again, we can't know the day or the hour. Jesus is intentional, kind of deliberately saying, I don't even know. The sun doesn't know. The angels who are going to carry out the work, they don't even know. So quit trying to figure it out. 
Quit trying to decipher. Quit studying the timetables. Our inability to know the when, however, does not excuse us from action, but instead calls us to an even greater vigilance, more consistent obedience, more urgent mission, knowing that it could be at any time. We said it here this morning in Sunday school. We, we don't have this sense that it's going to be today, but because it, we don't know any better, it could be. And thus it requires us to live with this sense of urgency. It was Martin Luther, the most people believe it was Martin Luther who said that Christians ought to live like Jesus died this morning, was raised at noontime, and is coming back this evening. Isn't that good? Oh, I just live today like Jesus died for me just this morning, that he took my sin to the cross, that he, he, he stood in my place. That he loved me with everything that he had. Just today, it's fresh in my life. But at noontime, as the sun raised to its highest point in the sky, Jesus was raised again. He was raised to new life. And so too can I be raised to new, to new life. But oh man, just tonight, I, I just got a few hours here. I just got a, a, a little window to live for him in mission and in obedience. Because tonight could be the night when he's coming back in his fullness and his power. Jesus seemed to know that the danger for us is that since we can't know when he's coming, that we'll fail to live our lives with any reference to his coming at all. It was in the example of Noah's generation. Jesus, a biblical scholar, looking back to Noah's story. And he sees here a clear warning against this kind of carelessness that future generations should seek to avoid. It wasn't, did you notice, it wasn't that the generation, at least the ones that Jesus pointed to, it wasn't that they were participating in these horrible, sinful activity. Did you notice it? They were having, like, dinner and getting married and kind of doing these types of things. The list of their activities that Jesus speaks of anyway seemed quite normal. Instead, it was their general indifference, their secular indifference, their being concerned with the things of this world as opposed to the things of God that left them vulnerable to the effects of the flood. The evil here, says uh, one commentary, Commentator Dale Bruner, he says, the evil is immersion in the everyday without thought for the last day. Man, I read that. I was just convicted. Anybody else been immersed in the everyday? I mean, are, are you just kind of under it? Every day, whether it's the, the press of every day and the things that we just have to get done, the jobs that have to happen, the tasks that need to be accomplished, the paycheck that has to be earned, the rent that has to be paid out, the, the everydayness of life is easy to get immersed in and to lose our thoughts of the last day. Hey, it struck me like this, maybe this is helpful for you. Advent is a time for reestablishing our reference point. Advent is a time for, once again, saying that, that is the mark. I was in San Diego a couple weeks for Kyla's 
college reunion, 20th college reunion for my wife. Last year was my 20th, so it's not like I'm any younger than her or anything. But we were there for our reunion at Point Loma, and we, we went down to Ocean Beach. Uh, some of you have been there and had to get a burger at Hodad's. Has anybody been there? Yes, okay. And uh, so I'm making friends with some, some people here. Uh, we had a great time, but when we parked, we had to go down and park next to the water. And I've told some of my surfing stories before. Uh, you know, suffice it to say, was not, is not, probably will not ever be a great surfer. But being at Ocean Beach and thinking about this reminded me of a time when I went surfing at Ocean Beach with some of my friends who were also not very good surfers. And there's a bit of a... a a current, I believe is what you call that, at Ocean Beach. And when we paddled out, we were in front of one part of the beach. And about, you know, 45 minutes later, I looked up and we were nowhere near where we had started out. The current had pushed us down. I don't know how far we had gone. Just pushed us away from the place where we had entered into the water. And so I think I spent the next 45 minutes trying to paddle back over to where I had started. And this is a common, a common thing that happens to a lot of rookies, novices, when they get into the ocean. Well, it happened to me. And I think this is just a great example of what can happen in our lives when we're immersed in the everydayness. We can lose our point of reference. We can, we can lose a sense of what is really important and what should, what should kind of mark us or what should give us our bearings, our, our awareness of kind of where we are in life and who we are to be as the people of God. Advent is a time when we can step back and say, you know what, God, God came, God is coming, God's going to come again. And because of that fact, I need to stop for a moment right now, and I need to assess who I am and how I'm living and kind of where I am in this whole process and decide if where I am is appropriate for the reality that Christ is coming again someday. That my life is aligning with who he would want me to be and who I would want him to find at his return. How easy it is to become so immersed in the everyday again that we lose sight of the last day. How quickly we can begin to live as if this world is all there is. Am I speaking to anybody other than myself? How quickly and how subtly we can fall into the slumber of indifference. How important it is then for us to live our lives today and every day in light of the last day. To always be ready for the coming of Jesus. Now, I don't know how you hear this passage. I, I think... Without a doubt, there's an element of warning in this portion of Scripture. I, I, I mean, if you're, when you hear uh, talk of Jesus' return, of his coming again, if like alarm clock, you know, alarms go off in your brain or in your spirit, or if you, you know, you hear about that thief coming in the night and you, you get a little nervous and you start to like wonder, then Receive it. Hear it. I mean, I started to think this week that maybe I should kind of tone that part down, and I don't want to be like scare tactics by any means in the world in which we live, but 
If we need to, I mean, I don't think Jesus is trying to, like, freak us out. He loves us so much. He loves each of us so much that he wants to warn us if our lives are losing sight of who he is and what his second coming again, or his coming again expects of us. That if we're off that track, he wants to warn us and get us back into a place where we're living aligned with his purposes for our lives. Hear it. Receive it. Let those alarms go off and let them point you back to the place where you can be and where you need to be in living for him. But I also want you to hear the invitation in these words. Because in terms of being ready, there is also, there's not just warning, but there's invitation that God is saying, you know, part of being ready is, is just joining with me in all that I am doing in the world in anticipation of the second coming of Jesus. While we watch and while we wait for his coming on the clouds in glory and in power, this passage encourages us to look for the ways in which God is coming in this time between the times and to be ready to join with him in the work that he is doing. We each have the opportunity to be the hands and feet of God in the world in which we live to the people that we know and to the people that we don't know. N.T. Wright he said this, he says, what you do in the present, by painting, by preaching, by singing, sewing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself, will last into God's future. Listen to this, he says, these activities are not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly, a little more bearable until the day when we leave it behind altogether, as the hymn so mistakenly puts it. They are a part of what we may call building for God's kingdom. Building for God's kingdom. Participating with God in all, as we wait, not a passive waiting, but an active waiting, participating with God in all his comings in the world. Where are you seeing him come? Where are you seeing him move? This Advent, many of us are reading this little book, and uh, we're going to be focusing in specifically on some of the themes from this book in some daily devotionals, and especially on our Wednesday night Advent Reflections. And so I know that there's like 30 kids coming to Advent Reflections, I hope that their parents are planning on coming as well. So, so uh, it's not just free babysitting. Um, it is that, but that's so you can come to the Advent Reflection. So come on over uh, from 7 to 8. We'll have a great time. And we'll be talking about these things. And one of the key things that we'll be talking about on Wednesday nights and throughout this season of Advent is, is how, we, how we join with, with God in in demonstrating mercy to the world. God is a God of mercy. And, and our prayer time reflected that this morning. God is a God of mercy. And, and so he calls us, he invites us to be people of mercy as well. And again, one of the key ways perhaps we can, we can celebrate Advent as we care for the least of these around us we testify to the reality of God's reign in our lives, the fact that he has come and is ruling over us, 
And we reveal his heart of compassion that he continues to come to those who are in need. I, I know that I have been the recipient of God's coming through the hands and feet of other human people. I, I put this out on Facebook, and I know some, a few of you saw this yesterday, but no one responded, so I won't put anyone on the spot. But uh, I hope that all of us, at some point in our lives, whether it be just in this last few days or over the last month or just at some point in our lives, we too have been the recipients of God's mercy demonstrated through the hands and feet of somebody else. I've told this story often, two stories that come to my mind. One is when I ruptured my spleen and I was in seminary and I was with several other seminarians who had no money, but I ruptured my spleen. I was out of work for like six weeks and, and you know, we were even had less money. And I, I was, I've seen this guy several times. In fact, I saw him at a meeting this last spring, one of my classmates who just gave me an envelope with $100 in it. And, and I received that, and as I did, I thought to myself, he does not have $100 to give. There's no way. He's as poor as I am. Maybe I'm a little bit more so right now because I'm not working, but we're, we're in the same boat. But I just remember that the $100, I really don't remember how that got spent, quite honestly. Probably paid some bill, you know? It's kind of what you do. But, but I've, I'll be forever touched by his act of mercy towards me that, that I, I believe and receive even more and more as the days go on as an act of mercy from God to me through him. I'm mindful of my wife, my whole family's over with the kids today, but I'm mindful of my wife and my dad, actually, who were both um, children of single parents. My, uh, my wife's parents were divorced and, and went through that whole experience. My dad's dad died when he was five years old. I was just thinking this week about how I can't wait to have some conversations with our grandpa, Floyd, when, uh, when we all get to heaven. But I was, I'm mindful about how these, and, and I've gotten to know some of you single parents, and, uh, and I've kind of watched a little bit and observed some of the challenges and difficulties and just kind of things that you, you face. And it's made me all the more appreciative for those who poured into my dad's life, those those kind of surrogate dads who just kind of stepped into his upbringing, those coaches and teachers who showed him what it's like to be a man. And he didn't have anybody else to show him, but somebody showed him. If they hadn't, how would have I discovered that same reality? I'm suggesting that I have <laughs> discovered what it is to be a man, and the jury may be out on that a little bit, but. And I'm mindful of all those who poured into the, the life of Kyla, my wife, and the acts of mercy that were, that were pointed towards her and her family and the change that that has made. All of this stuff, what I want you to hear again from that N.T. Wright quote, all of this stuff matters. 
in Advent, we celebrate Advent by, by, by living mercifully towards the world. Because as we do, we point to the fact that God lives mercifully towards us as well. Where can you see God coming during this season of Advent? Where can you join with him and participate in his uh, purposes for the world? I, I do want to just highlight this. Aaron spoke of it, but I just want to highlight this really quick. This is that child sponsorship. Um, I feel like I'm just like making commercials up here, Wednesday night, now it's child sponsorship. But this is, this is not a timeout from the sermon, all right? This is part of the, the message. Um, we have sponsored kids through Nazarene Compassionate Ministry for a number of years. I don't know, two or three different kids at this point in our lives together, in our family. I know some of you maybe sponsor kids through uh, compassion or World Vision, of course, some of these different organizations. There, there's an article in Christianity Today, really highly respected Christian magazine, not long ago that, that the, the, I think it was the title, but the subtitle and the point of the article was simply this, that if you really want to make, they, they've done all the research, and they said that if you really want to make a difference in uh, international mission situation, then the, then the one way that they had, they had discovered was almost guaranteed to impact the world was to sponsor a child. The, the reports are coming back after many years of this, and the kids who are being sponsored, their lives and their communities are different. They're being impacted. Not only are they receiving you know, food to eat, and things to, water to drink, but, but life and, and life with Jesus. So just, just, um, just quick, I just, this one is, I asked, Katie to grab me one. Of course, she grabbed me one with the name that I have no chance of pronouncing correctly. <laughs> this is Ujitha Asela, and he's from Sri Lanka, a child development center there in Sri Lanka. And uh, he's 13 years old. Um, my mom's a housewife. My father's a driver. At home, I like to help my grandmother. I also like playing cricket. I would love to see I think not only can we change the, lot, the, the course of history um, for 25 children around the world, but your life can be radically altered, I believe, by sponsoring a child. 25 bucks a month, this child will be reserved for you for one year. I know that's a pretty long commitment, and it's a significant one. I don't undervalue that. Uh, but for some of you, you could probably sponsor two or three. Just take one to begin with. Let everybody have a chance. But all you have to do is just go back there at the table that Josefina will be at. I just want to kind of, and you can fill this part out, put it in the envelope, tear it off, put it in the envelope, and then you can keep this part and put it on your refrigerator somewhere where you can pray for this child. And then Nazarene Compassionate Ministries will be in touch with you to, uh, to, to set up your, your payment and things like that. But I, I really hope that that can be something that, Again, as, I, as we thought about this, I'd like to say that my first thought was, man, I really want to sponsor 25 kids and change their lives. It, 
Unfortunately, I'm human. It was a little bit more selfish than that. I'd really like to see 25 of our families sponsor a child and be radically changed in the level of generosity and their own spiritual uh, openness. So if we can get at both of those, uh, that would be wonderful. Well, the last thing is this, that um, not only is there some sense of warning, maybe some sense of invitation, but finally there's a word of hope in this passage that we must hear. We, we have to hear it. The promise is that the same God who will come again and who comes into the world to accomplish his purposes will also come to each of us. And he will strengthen us, and he will encourage us, and he will bless us, and he will equip us to do the work that he has called us to do. He, he will not leave us hanging. Another writer, Tom Long, says this, in the face of the crushing needs of the world, the only way to preserve hope the only way to maintain a willing sense of discipleship is to trust that at any moment we may be surprised by the sudden presence of God. As we journey down the long and seemingly endless path of discipleship, we never know when we may encounter the living God waiting for us around the next bend. I, I, don't, I don't run these half marathon or full marathon things that I hear spoken of so frequently around here. I admire those who do. But I can only imagine that if it were me, I would basically live from water station to water station. <laughs> Are you with me? I mean, I, I can just anticipate that, that I'd, I'd see that first water station, I'd be like, yes! <sighs> Sit there and drink for a while and run again, just waiting for the next water station. And I just kind of think that maybe life in the kingdom, a life of discipleship, a life of celebrating Advent is one that is okay to be lived water station to water station. And in this instance, I'm not talking about uh, physical water. I'm talking about living water that we can drink from living water of Jesus Christ. The great word of hope is that we can be ready and we must be ready for Jesus to come to us in new and fresh ways to shape us, to transform us, to help us to become all that he is calling us to be. So again, back to creating space a little bit. Are you, are you ready? Are you willing? Are you able Carve out some space in which Jesus might come to you in a new and fresh way. I'm just going to tell you right now, you're, you need him. I need him. If we are to live mercifully in the world as God has called us to, then we need a fresh outpouring of Jesus in our lives on a consistent basis from water station to water station. Well, uh, in that video, some of this prayer was, was there, and I want us just to pray this prayer together. I'll put it up on the screen. This prayer is often attributed to, um, to St. Francis, and I think it really kind of gets at a little bit of the kind of people that we want to be as we move into and 
through this Advent season. And again, it reflects the reality that we need God to make us this kind of person. So would you stand with me? We're going to read this, and then we're going to participate in communion this morning. But as we read this prayer, I'm just going to invite Danny and Aaron, who are going to serve us, to come on down here. And, uh, and after we read this prayer, our worship team, our musicians will lead us in a very simple song. And uh, we're going to sing all the verses and everything else, but we just decided, no, just bail on those verses. Just make it all about the chorus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Don't look at timetables. Don't look at charts. Don't look at this or that. Look at Jesus, and he'll shape us into this kind of person. Let's pray this together, shall we? Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is error, truth. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is dying that we are born to eternal life. Heavenly Father, we thank you that, that you're a God who comes. You've really proven that over and over. And, and really, it's, it's, our, it's our joy to celebrate this reality that you're a God who comes. It's our joy in, in our living to, to point to this deep spiritual reality. So, God, as we ready ourselves. As we think about your second coming, as we think about the, the ways that you're, you're coming even now into the world in desperate situations, and as we think about the ways that you want to come to us, we, we pray that we would live in such a way that, that uh, reflects this truth and this beautiful reality. Thank you that even in these moments we can celebrate the fact that you, you came to us in the person of Jesus Christ and that you extended yourself fully on the cross, shedding your blood for the forgiveness of our sin. And we pray, God, that as we receive the bread and the juice today in these moments of communion, as we point to that great reality of, of the salvation that you offer to us, that at the same time, we would, we would be reminded and learn again in a fresh way that, uh, that you're inviting us to be people who are then broken and poured out in merciful ways to the world in which we live. God, may this beautiful story continue to be told through us. We remember.
remember that it was on that night when Jesus was betrayed that he gathered with his disciples and he broke the bread and he blessed it and he passed it to them. He said, this is my body broken for you. Take of it and eat of it. And as you do, remember me. And in the same way that he took the cup and he blessed and he passed it to them, he said, this is the cup of a new covenant, the symbol of my blood shed for your salvation. Drink of it. And as you do, remember me. And as your disciples today, oh, Lord Jesus, we eat and drink with gratitude in our hearts and with a desire to live fully for you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.